0: Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast, on WFAN and radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the season finale episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, this nightmare is over. This Nets season that was never about this season. It came to a merciful end on Sunday with a third blowout loss to the Raptors in the four-game suite. Finally, now we get to focus on the business at hand. And that's how to get this team to the point where we can talk about this coming year. A year where the Nets have a real shot, not just a prayer, competing for a championship. And they're not there yet. So I'm going to lay it out for you in the next 40 minutes or so. No special guest, just me going over the roster and speculating about moves. Seems to be what's on all you listeners' minds anyway. That's really it, so let's get to it. Now, I had a column on WFN.com yesterday where I went over in general what I want to see from the Nets organization this offseason. You know, get a coach, re-sign Joe Harris retool the roster with fit in mind instead of ball-dominating star power. But what does that mean in practice? Well, it means that some of these fine folks on the Nets will have to go to make room for better-fitting personnel. And since I don't have a bug in General Manager Sean Marks' office, I can only speculate as to which players I think will be back. And with that in mind... I'm about to give you my best guess percentages as to which players will be wearing Brooklyn Black next season. So here goes, starting with Kevin Durant, 100%. Obviously, not a shock. Look, we don't know if he'll be the same player he was before he tore his Achilles, or even how close he can get to that transformational level, but we kind of have a good idea what the Nets think. They paid him $37.2 million this season, knowing he wouldn't play at all. Uh, From the reporting I trust, he has an outsized influence on the owner, Joseph Tsai. That's supposedly where you're getting these Greg Popovich to Brooklyn rumors, which I'll get to later. You know, KD's known to be a basketball junkie, and he's not going to fool around with a coach he doesn't trust. He'll also be on the front lines recruiting players to come here, or is that called tampering? Anyway, yeah, obviously he'll be back. So let's move on. Kyrie Irving, also 100%. Say what you will about his controversies, but he's a genius on the court and one of the biggest reasons KD chose Brooklyn over Manhattan. Again, the only question mark I have for next season you know, should be his health, which is why I don't understand all the folks who want the Nets to gut their depth to chase a superfluous third star like Washington's Bradley Beal, in any event, KD and Kyrie agree to be tied together for at least the next two years. Neither's going anywhere. As for the third wheel of last year's clean sweep, DeAndre Jordan, ninety-eight percent. Look, I get that Nets fans feel he's kind of like the little brother who's been forced to tag along. But in this case, the two stars really do like him. And for all my complaints about what I call Jordan's selective efforts. He did deserve to be starting at the end there. Jared Allen, were you watching the games? So many times where Kenny Atkinson was forced to play Jordan like 20 minutes in a row, the second half, because Allen could be trusted. The disparity in play was that wide. So why am I knocking off that 2% there? Because the Nets will have to give to get in any trade. And if push came to shove... I can see KD and Kyrie going to Jordan, saying, "Look, you know, we got you paid, but we need this guy. Take your money, coast to retirement." Now, you know, if there aren't many teams looking to add a 32-year-old center who'll be making 10 million a year for the next three years, so it's remote, two percent remote. Moving on, the numbers have a huge drop off from here. But uh, I'm going next with Nick Claxton. 85%. Why so high for a guy who barely played? Because his skill set is in demand. You just don't find six foot eleven guys like that growing on trees. I know it's an unfair comparison that I keep making, but Claxton could conceivably develop into a Chris Bosch type. He's got to get stronger and refine his three-point shot, but the tools are there. He's also signed to a cheap contract for the next two years, And the Nets need guys on cheap contracts. Of course, if I'm the Wizards, or any team really, I'm asking for Claxton alongside Karis Levert and Picks, just to even discuss Beal. You think Zanin Musa, Rodians Karutz, and Timothy Luau-Cabararo are getting you anything good? Fat chance. However, since I'm hoping Mark's moves past the stargazing, maybe Claxton can be retained. Next up, Karis Levert, 75%. For the restart, I wrote that Levert had nothing to prove in the bubble. I mean, did we really learn anything we didn't see from him before? Yet folks still aren't convinced he can be the Nets' third star, as if that's his only value. To me, the only way the Nets deal him is if they're convinced he doesn't fit in the plan. And that would be a bad decision, in my opinion. I heard that Stan Van Gundy preempted my comparison of Lavert with Lou Williams during his Game 4 broadcast. Guess that's why Stan's getting rave reviews. But yes, Karras should be the Nets caretaker to carry the load during Kyrie's rests and absences, not Spencer Dinwiddie. If you're troubled by Lavert's shooting efficiency, go look at the numbers again. Lavert shot 36.5% from deep this season. Dinwiddie, 30.8%. Levert is a better scorer, passer, defender. Case closed. You keep him and trade Dinwiddie. Will that happen? Who knows? Again, it's all about what the Nets are willing to give to get. Anyway, I'm done here talking about Levert. Next, Garrett Temple, also 75%. Now, you may think that the Nets and their stars were thrilled with the leadership and locker room presence they got from Temple this season. You'd be right. And that at $5 million, they'd surely exercise their team option for another year. Well, maybe. It all comes down to roster balance. The Nets just can't keep all these guards. Who'd you rather have anyway? Temple at $5 million or Jamal Crawford at the vet minimum? On a contending team, neither should play other than in emergencies. The Nets, though, they're going to be in luxury tax hell, so this is easy savings. Still, the odds have Temple as a decent favorite to return. There aren't many others like that, so let's move on. Joe Harris, 70%. This is more my heart speaking to you rather than my head. I mean, all it takes is one outlandish offer. You know, say the Knicks come forward with a $20 million per year deal. Who says that can't happen? What, that team has never done anything crazy like that before? Grossly overpaid for talent? Come on, please. Remember, if the Nets have to compete like that, their luxury tax bill becomes prohibitive. Now, Sy I said before that he's willing to pay taxes, we just don't know how much taxes he's willing to pay. Again, I've said this before, if the Nets can't keep Harris, that would be gross roster mismanagement by Marx. He knew this would be a possibility and had an opportunity at the trade deadline to cash in his chips Instead of having him stick around for a lost cause. What's an elite three point shooter going for these days? Has to be at least a late first round pick from a contender, right? I guess that's another reason besides my emotions why I have Harris this high. You know, I trust Marks knows what he's doing. Hope I'm right. Okay, one of my favorites to Timothy Luwawu Cabarro. 70%. Yes, TLC. As you may already know, I'm not a fan. And before you tell me to calm down because of his play in the bubble, go back and look at the box scores. In the seeding games, which were meaningless by the way, he had four very strong games and four brutal games. In the playoffs, it was 3-1 to one in favor of awful. So let's hold off on the hype, okay? But I do recognize that the Nets have a shortage of 3 and D wings. And if you're going to keep another development guy... Well, if you can call a 25-year-old a development guy. Anyway, if you're going to keep a guy who has that kind of upside, this is the position you want to use a roster spot on. TLC's contract for next season is non-guaranteed, but it's so cheap that money won't be an issue. The other 30% is for the possibility that it will be included as salary filler in a trade. Again, he did have his moments, including some on defense where He was put in an awfully untenable position of having to guard guys who are so much bigger than him. So maybe he'll be acceptable to some team as part of a bigger package. Who knows? Anyway, next up, I have Jared Allen at 50%. This will kill Sean Marks, but I just don't see any other way out here. Look, I mean, Allen deserves all the accolades not reserved for Levert for his performance in Orlando. I mean, there were times where it looked like the Nets needed him to cover all five opponents on the court. Protect the paint? Check. Switch out to a guard like Fred Van Vliet? Check. Run out to the corner to contest a three? Check. The dude was everywhere. Whenever he came off the court, disaster struck. But you have to look at the bigger picture. What's his real value? Remember, Allen's due for an extension off his rookie deal. If he doesn't get one, he'll be a restricted free agent after next season. Again, how much in luxury taxes is Cy willing to spend, especially this time on a backup center with limited, though eye-popping, skills? He struggles to shoot outside of the restricted area and often gets bullied inside. Now, Allen is just 22, so there's still plenty of growth potential, but I think there will always be questions about his ferocity, you know, whether he has those second and third jumps that are necessary when you're really getting after it in the playoffs, I think it's fair to investigate whether Claxton can fill those minutes, albeit in a different way going forward. I have to imagine that Allen will be one of the core trade pieces, young asset a team with a specific need might covet. So that's why it's 50-50 to me. Okay, also at 50%, Zanin Musa. I mean, he's still only 21 years old, so it's too soon to definitively close the book on him. But given this team's timeline, I can't see why they keep him around after what we've seen in his two seasons. And by that, I don't mean they'll cut him. He has a $2 million guarantee for next season. No, I think he'll be traded. Get a fresh start somewhere. Keeps working. Maybe he'll unlock his talent. And he's a six-nine ball handler with three-point range. Just doesn't make good decisions with the ball. Maybe, as ESPN's Zach Lowe put it, he's too confident. I thought he had a great opportunity to take a leap forward in the bubble. I really did. It didn't happen. And I doubt anything's going to change in the next two years, which is why I see it as 50-50 that he'll be dealt. Okay, now to the guys who I see as more likely moving on to other pastors, starting with Wilson Chandler, 40%. He had a strange season, starting with the 25-game drug suspension and ending with his opt-out out of the restart for personal reasons. I won't say that the Nets will hold any of that against him, but I can see KD visualizing someone else at that spot, whether it's Michael Beasley or another veteran. When Chandler did play, it's not like he was exceptional or wholly impactful at anything. Shot well below his career percentages, partially because of the time off. He did rebound fairly well, but that's not really his thing. just happened to be one of the Nets' bigger bodies. He was signed to a one-year veteran minimum deal last offseason. He may have to take that again, but unless the Nets strike out in free agency and trades, I don't see it being in Brooklyn. Next up, Torian Prince, 30%. That sounds strange, but to make the math work on just about any major trade... Dorian Prince has got to be going the other way. He got the three-year, $52.5 million extension during the season. Now, ironically, he'll be used to facilitate a deal out of town. The only question? Whether his subpar season here made him irrevocably contaminated. When he was with the Hawks, he was your prototypical 3 and D wing. Potential Damari Carroll or Jay Crowder. Guys like that always have value. But, of course, the nets made him a stretch four, a position where he was overpowered almost every night. By the end of the season, his confidence was shaken, and Chandler took his starting spot. He then got infected by the virus, so he couldn't even attempt to redeem himself in the bubble. The Torian prince, who shot 38% from 3 in his three seasons in Atlanta, is a hell of a lot more valuable than the one who shot a shade below 34% this season. Still, I see no other way for Brooklyn to acquire a large contract without including Prince, even if it's deemed a negative asset that has to be made up with the pick. Now, folks, here comes Spencer Dinwiddie, 25%. Sorry about that, just not enough basketballs to go around. You have KD, Kyrie, and Karras to play pick and roll in one-on-one. Spencer is fine at that, but he's more of an elite straight-line driver rather than a playmaker. He's terrible at pull-up threes. 27.7% 27.7% on those this season, according to NBA.com. And his passing? Ugh. How many of his lobster Jordan were mistimed or went awry? Defensively? Eh. On top of that, didn't we surely looking to opt out of his contract next season and become an unrestricted free agent. And believe me, this guy knows what he's worth. The time to deal him is this offseason, when his $11.4 million salary won't be considered onerous. I have some thoughts about that later. But finally, Rodeon's kuruts 20%. So I think Jacques Vaughn's rotation in Game 4 said quite a bit. He didn't even have Rody replace TLC in the first quarter at the 4, despite the already ridiculous size differential with Toronto. Vaughn went with 4 guards with Temple at the 4. That roadie played it all was probably because Vaughn's other options for Allen's rest period were G-leaguers Dante Hall and Justin Anderson. Of course, that strategy went about as well as you'd expect, just to say the Nets got creamed. In any event, there are other reasons to believe that Carutz is on the outs in Brooklyn, particularly his legal troubles stemming from his arrest last year for allegedly assaulting his girlfriend. This seems to be proceeding at a snail's pace, with no trial date even set yet. Groots never commented on it, but it's fair to wonder whether it was a distraction to him this season. Never found that consistent energy button that made him so intriguing as a rookie last season. Seemed hesitant on the court, unsure whether to shoot or drive. And then no matter which one he chose, it was often too late. Posted the league's third highest turnover percentage for players with over 45 games played behind only Dwight Howard and Andre Drummond. He shot it okay in the regular season, but missed all eight of his three-point attempts against Toronto when the game was speeded up. His upcoming salary is guaranteed, but I'm guessing the Nets will consider eating it if they can't trade him. So that takes care of the roster prior to the restart. As for the Nets' bubble substitute, that's a tougher call. Would they like to retain guys like Crawford and Tyler Johnson? Probably. If it's for the minimum. I guess that Crawford is more likely to accept that because, you know, he's 40. You'd think Johnson may feel like he owes Marks his livelihood for, you know, when the Nets gave him that $50 million restricted free agent offer sheet. But I'm not sure if he feels that now is the time to pay it back. Holland Anderson? They're strictly G-leaguers at this stage. Lance Thomas looked like he was done playing basketball at this level. From what I gather, Jeremiah Martin is still covered by his two-way deal, while Chris Chiozza will be a restricted free agent. And Let's just say I'm no longer concerned that Chiozza will be receiving an outsized offer sheet after watching him play in Orlando. Okay, so where do I think the Nets should go from here? You know I'm against gutting the team's depth for Beal. The Nets do not need another ball-dominant scorer who does little else. As I wrote in the WFAN.com article, this team lacks defenders, especially at the forward positions. A real stretch four who can actually shoot would be nice. With that in mind, I'm going to revisit a trade proposal that I wrote about in an April WFAN.com column. It's purely speculative. But here goes anyway. Nets send to Indiana. Dinwiddie, Allen, Prince, Musa, Kuruts, Their 2020 19th overall first round pick. Their lottery protected 2022 first round pick. And a 2020 second round pick that originated in Denver. In return, the Nets get Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. Now, before you dismiss this out of hand... Bear in mind that the Nets might have to give all that just for Beal. Also, this is all dependent on where the league and the Players Association agree as to where the salary cap and luxury tax thresholds are for next season. You see, the Pacers were operating over the cap, and I really don't know how much longer their owner is willing to cut all those checks, finish 4th through 6th in the East, and then lose in the first round. Oladipo will be on an expiring contract next season, and it's questionable whether the Pacers will want to extend him with the requisite raise given his injury history. On the net side, not only will they get a shot creator who will subjugate himself to KD and Kyrie, you know, Depot is also regarded as a tough defender. Only Toronto's flop king Kyle Lowry drew more charges per game than him this season. Turner, you know, he makes a ton of money, $18 million a year for the next three seasons. But he's also six foot eleven with a league average three-point shooting efficiency for his career. Um, yes, please. On the Pacers' side, it's not like they're getting hosed. Dinwiddie is a legit point guard. Allen gives them better rim protection than what they have. And Prince can go back to his 3 and D reserve role where he was pretty good. Plus, you're giving them two young players to stash at the end of their bench and three picks. For the Nets, though... That would leave Irving, Oladipo, and Levert rotating at guard. Harris and TLC at the other wing. KD and free agent X, we'll get to in a minute, at the four. And Jordan, Turner, and Claxton manning the middle. That's pretty good rotation. And it has the added benefit of being malleable. Need to play big? Turner and Jordan probably can coexist on the floor with KD move to small forward. I don't know. I see this trade as a win-win. Now to supplement that rotation, Nets will be armed only with two exceptions because of the luxury tax rules, the taxpayer mid-level exception, it's expected to be just south of $6 million a year, and the veterans' minimum exception. It's not a lot to go on. So what they should be looking for is ring chasers, guys who may be cashed in on earlier deals who might take less for the chance to compete deep in the playoffs. Paul Millsap, for instance. He's earned like $183 million in his NBA career and he'll turn 36 years old next season. Sure, he can stay in Denver with a really good team, but where are they compared to other teams in the West? They're about to be bounced in the first round. Come to Brooklyn, though, and the path to the finals should be easier. Not easy, easier. Of course, a lot of who goes where boils down to relationships and I'm not aware of who is or isn't in Katie's or Kyrie's circle. Well, other than Michael Beasley who unfortunately came down with COVID-19 before he could join the Nets as a substitute player in Orlando. With the taxpayer mid-level doubt Serge Ibaka or Danilo Gallinari would take it in my opinion. But would one of the Mars twins Markeith Maybe you would also have to be willing to leave the Lakers. And of course, Nets can fill the back end of the bench with veterans on minimums just like a lot of real contenders do. No more development guys. Crawford, Beasley, Johnson, if he's willing. Heck, bring back Chandler too. That's a team that can compete for a title, folks. So that's about as extensive a breakdown as you'll find on where the Nets should look to be come training camp, whenever that'll be. But Oh, wait, I did forget something. The coach! Of course, I have a take on this whole situation, you know, after that Shams report in The Athletic on the Nets' interest in Popovich. I'm not sure if there's anything new there. Go back a few episodes in the WFAN.com archive and listen to my interview with Stefan Bondi of the Daily News. Seemed to think then that Cy was preparing to go for it, but I don't know anyone who thinks this will work out. I mean, a lot has to happen before Brooklyn can secure Popovich's services. I mean, he does have another year on his contract with the Spurs. So, you know, they have to get San Antonio's permission to talk to him. They have to convince Pop to leave a place where he's absolutely adored for five championships. They have to agree on all contract terms. Then they'll have to negotiate fair compensation with San Antonio management. Remember, the Nets even got two second round picks from Milwaukee for Jason Kidd. Doc Rivers cost the Clippers a one. And I think you have to start there for Pop which would mean at least one less asset for Marks to use on roster management. Me? I'm sticking to my guns with Ty He's He's the right fit at this time, in my opinion. Even though I'll swear that this is the best job for him, yes, better than Philadelphia or New Orleans, I do worry that this Popovich infatuation will make Lou turn to those other opportunities. Sham said that the Nets want to complete the search in a month, That may be too late. Look, this pop to Brooklyn rumor is easy to dismiss. However, I I do wonder who leaked this. I I doubt it came from Brooklyn. It seems to be pushing Vaughn at every opportunity. Oftentimes this stuff comes from agents. Was that Shams' source? I don't know. I, I do know that there's no salary cap for coaches, so this is an area where size net worth can be useful. All indications point at KD driving this into size year. And the respect, apparently, between player and coach is mutual. So, overall, do I think it will happen? I'm calling it 15%. So, folks, that's a wrap from me on this 2019 20 net season. As I did at the end of last season, I want to thank everyone who provided content to these podcasts, especially these very special guests. From the Yes Network broadcasting team, Ian Eagle and Michael Grady. From the Nets Radio Network, Chris Carino and Tim Capstraw. From the New York Daily Newspapers, Greg Logan of Newsday, Brian Lewis of the New York Post, and Stephen Bondi of the Daily News. Other reporters, Alex Schiffer from The Athletic, John Schumann of NBA.com, Michael Scotto from Hoops Hype, Mike Mazio from Yahoo Sports. Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press, freelance reporter Larry Fleischer, and, of course, my good friends at NetsDaily.com, including Mr. NetsDaily himself, Bob Windrum, and, as always, last but not least, the pooch, Anthony Puccio. These guys were all fantastic guests, who I can't thank enough for providing this show with tremendous insight. Great people, too, I must say. I also should thank my editors at WFAN and Radio.com for giving me this platform, and the Nets players, coaches, and public relations staff for granting me the locker room access that I believe makes this podcast different from others. Unfortunately, we're living in a different world right now, and I wish I could guarantee that I'll have more of the same for you next season, but who knows how this will all shake out. I'm eternally grateful for all you listeners who stuck it out with me after the league went into the bubble, especially since the shows were removed from Apple Podcasts. Hopefully that'll be fixed by next season. Thanks to those of you who sent in questions to the listener mailbag segments. Sorry I didn't get to them today. I just didn't want to go too long. However, I do believe I answered everyone's questions somewhere in this rant. Is that okay, Corey Cantor at CBC727? Morris at RealJASMLC, Eddie Limage, and KVNKSTO at BK Runs New York. Seriously, you know, thank you all. So please, everyone, stay safe out there. If you're a real Nets fan like me, you always believe better days are ahead. So until next season, one last time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying. Enjoy the rest of your summer and thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better